Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. If God was in the room right now, standing in front of you, what would you ask him? What would you ask God if he was standing right in front of you in the room? Would you be able to stand at all, uh, confronted by his glory and your inadequacy? Would you uh, turn the tables? Would you ask him, why, what are you doing with the world? With all the suffering that we're seeing and the war, the pandemic, the mental health pandemic and and everything going on, what, what are you doing, God? Would you ask for healing for a loved one? Healing for yourself? Now, what if I told you God is in the room? He is. So what will we pray to him? What will we say? In the morning, we've been doing a series in 1 Kings, uh, 1 to 11, following the life and leadership of King Solomon, the second most known king of Israel, the first being King David, which is Solomon's father. And uh, what I wanted to do, we've been, in the evening, we've been blessed to have a, a, a a diversity of voices bringing us uh, God's truth from the book of Philippians uh, while I've been running through the series in the morning. And I, I really want to thank those who, who did the work to unpack God's truth and, and share it with us. Uh, it's been really great. Um, my ambition for tonight is, is kind of uh, summarize the series and, and kind of bring um, what I think is the most significant moment of Solomon's leadership, um, kind of summarize, but also share um, from 1 Kings 8. It's also last week there was an issue with the recording, so uh, this was an opportunity to record it for the podcast. So, um, But either way, I would have done uh, this sermon. So just a bit of a recap. Um, uh, we looked at, we've been looking over the last few weeks, we looked at David's uh, handing over the kingship to Solomon, and that was messy, and that was mixed. The legacy that David left Solomon, he he com- he said to Solomon, "Walk in my way," but he also said, "But but follow your heart, do it your way, do it God's way, and do your way." It was mixed. We also saw uh, Solomon was given the opportunity to ask for whatever he wants from God. And instead of asking for success, for everything to go well for him, instead of asking that all his problems would be taken away, Solomon asks for an understanding heart so that he might discern what is right and wrong. He, he asked for wisdom that he might lead well. And Solomon's greatest achievement, the, the achievement that is given the most uh, time and space in the narrative is Solomon building the temple. Building the temple. Uh, we, the, kind of the, the narrative spans five chapters out of the 11, talking about all the 
details of the the temple and then the dedication and then God filling and accepting um, the temple. And why why was it? Why was building the temple Solomon's greatest achievement? Why is that given so much emphasis in the story? It's because of the theological significance of the temple of God. This building wasn't just a building. It represented to the people of Israel. In fact, it didn't represent it. It was the presence of God amongst his people. This was God in the room to Israel. It was God's house where he would dwell and his people would be able to approach him uh, through, uh, through sacrifice, through the means that, that God has, has issued. And so 1 Kings chapter 8 is uh, the, the story of Solomon dedicating the temple. And wow, is it rich with theology and significance and meaning this one chapter. And so what we're going to do, we're going to, I'm going to share the overview of the chapter, show you a bit of the shape of the chapter, and then we're going to focus in on the center, uh, which is really Solomon's prayer of dedication. So what's the shape of chapter eight? And as you can see on the screen, the shape is, is, is a bit of a pattern where it starts with sacrifice. So the temple has been built, it's done. And then Solomon gathers all uh, the people of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs and, and all the big wigs to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And while they do that, they, they bring sacrifices. And it says they bring so many sacrifices, they can't even count. So many sacrifices. Um, uh, this is verse 5. Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that gathered around him went before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle, they couldn't even record how many that there was. Now, we've got to remember, it's not like they, they did a hundred and something and they couldn't count it. They, they know how to count. Because later in on the chapter, they, they count 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So they know how to count. But here's an example of a moment where they could, even more than that, beyond their ability to count, so many sheep and cattle sacrificed uh, before the Lord uh, as to, to signify what is needed, what is necessary for God to dwell with his people is sacrifice. The next thing uh, that's, that's kind of the chapter goes into is God's faithfulness. Um, from uh, 1 Kings 8, um, from 18, or from 14, but I'll read from 18. Uh, God says, the Lord says to, um, sorry, Solomon says, the Lord said to David, my father, where it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled this promise that he has made. For I have risen, Solomon has risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I've provided a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he's made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. What Solomon is saying here is that God has been faithful to his promises. What God promised about Solomon building the temple, 
that there would be a building which uh, God's name would be uh, present and placed in that space, that God would dwell amongst his people. God has been true to his promises. God has been faithful to the covenant, to that promise relationship that he established with his people. And then we get into the central prayers where Solomon breaks out into prayer, dedicating the temple and all that that brings uh, for um, Israel. We'll come back to that. Then after that, there's a discussion of Israel's faithfulness. God has been faithful. Will Israel be faithful? 1 Kings 8.57 says, The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Later on, 1 Kings 8.61, Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. God has been faithful. Solomon prays and then calls Israel to be faithful. Walk in his way. Walk with the Lord. This temple that they're dedicating is the presence of God. And so God, uh, Solomon is calling the people to walk with him. And it ends again with sacrifice, with uh, with more sacrifices and a great feast and celebration and ceremony. Like I said before, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. And uh, 1 Kings 8, 66, on the eighth day, he sent, Solomon sent the people away, having done all these things. And they blessed the king and went to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord has shown to David, his servant, and and to Israel, his people. So, We see this pattern, there's sacrifice and God's faithfulness and then prayer in the middle. And then Israel's faithfulness and sacrifice again. And and Hebrew narrative and and, um, the way that the Bible works, telling stories, patterns like this are significant. It's important to notice things like this because it teaches us about the nature of what it's talking about. And just quickly, it reminds us that uh, God's presence requires faithful, uh, requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. That God's uh, temple is a demonstration of God's faithfulness to his people. It's a demonstration that he is a God who keeps his promises. It's also a call to faithfulness. And at the center of this, God's temple, the place of, of God amongst His people is a place where Israel can call upon the Lord. Can call upon the Lord. And that's where we're going to turn to now, this central prayer. Um, Solomon prays for seven things. Seven things. That's not insignificant. Seven is a very important number in the Bible. And then in this, there is... uh, Again, consistent reminders of God's faithfulness to his covenant. Uh, But one thing Solomon does before he gets into it, he reflects on on how ludicrous this whole situation is. Have a look from 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot even contain you. How much less this house that I've built. 
Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God. Listen to the cry and to the prayer of your ser- that your servant prays before you this day. That your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, to the place which you have said, my name will be there, shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer your servant offers towards this place. So Solomon says the the infinite, unlimited, unreachable, uncontainable, indescribable God contained in a building made by mere humans. It's ridiculous. Yet God has created this space through his servant, King Solomon, to which he placed his name. And this is significant in that time. To place your name on something is to declare ownership is to declare identity and association. He placed his name there so that when people would look to this place, the temple of God, day or night, when they pray to the temple, the infinite, unlimited, unreachable, uncontainable, indescribable God would hear their prayer, would listen uh, to their prayer. And, And Solomon prays in 1 Kings 8, verse 30, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. When you hear, forgive. And the heart of these seven prayers that he prays is that God would forgive Israel that God would forgive his people. And this is a pattern you you will see uh, throughout. And so Solomon prays for these seven things, these seven prayers. And um, as he leads all of Israel in prayer, dedicating the temple. And so when Israel looks to the house that contains the infinite, unlimited, unreachable, uncontainable, indescribable God, what do they pray for? When God is in the room, what do they say? What do they pray for? Let's read and find out. Uh, If you have a Bible, if you haven't already, it'd be great to open to 1 Kings chapter 8. There are Bibles in the back there in the drawer labeled Bibles. Um, It's always a good place to look if you're looking for a Bible. It's also going to be on the screen. So the first thing that Solomon prays for is justice, justice. Uh, Verse 31 to 32, when anyone wrongs their neighbor and is required to take an oath and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing down on their heads what they have done and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. Now, this sounds uh, a little bit confusing and and distanced culturally, uh, but one of the things to remember about um, uh, this whole book, really, 1 Kings, is that it's thoroughly influenced by the law given to Moses before they enter into the kingdom of God. It's thoroughly influenced by the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, it talks about the requirements of, uh, of, of finding justice. When someone makes an accusation against someone, you have to bring a couple of witnesses. Uh, but if there is no witnesses, it's just one person's word against the other. 
It's a bit like if you know the story of the of uh, the two prostitutes who bring um, uh, a child before Solomon, both claiming it's theirs. Like it's it's one word against the other. And what Solomon's praying for is for a situation where it's, it's one person's word against the other. In that situation, may there be justice. May the person who's done wrong uh, be judged so. And may the person who is innocent be vindicated. God, uh, Solomon is praying for justice. The next thing that Solomon prays for is restoration. Restoration. So you want to read with me verse 33 uh, to 34. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land that you gave to their ancestors." So Solomon prays, when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy. And notice it doesn't say if your people are defeated. He says when. And that's significant because Solomon is divinely inspired to be aware that Israel has a tendency to reject God. And we see this working out later on in the story. But when that happens, because they have sinned, and when they turn back to you, when, when, when the people of Israel, even when they've been defeated, they return back to God and ask for forgiveness, Solomon prays, forgive them and restore them. These people who've been separated from the land that God promised to his people, they've been separated. Solomon asks, may they be restored, restored to what they once had, um, Bring them back to the land. Hear, forgive, restore. Solomon also prays for corporate renewal. Uh, Verse 35 and 36. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray towards this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach teach them right from wrong. Sorry, let me start again. Hear from uh, heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. So uh, Solomon is praying when heaven is shut up. So when there's drought, when there's, there's uh, uh, issues with nature and creation and uh, because of Israel's sin. But again, when they turn back to the temple, to the place that has God's name, the place where God dwells, and they seek his name, they praise him, and they pray for forgiveness, Solomon asks for that, you, that God would forgive them, but not just forgive them, restore them and renew the land. The land that's been decimated by drought, Solomon prays, provide rain again, that, that, that we'd be able to see new crops growing, that we'd be see creation restored. It demonstrates God's concern, not just for the people of God, but for the land, for creation, for the place that they dwell. 
And when the land is renewed and creation is renewed, then the economy is renewed, then society is renewed, that, uh, that the, the community might be taught the right way to live, given a new opportunity to live out their obedience to God. Solomon's praying for corporate renewal of the land of the people. He also prays for individual renewal. Read 37 to 40. When famine or plagues come to the land or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when an enemy besieges them in any of their situation, oh, sorry, their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own heart and spreading out their hands towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do, since you alone know their hearts. You alone know every human heart so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our ancestors. Solomon prays when there's big corporate things going on, famine, plague, siege, whatever situation or disaster is happening when an individual makes a plea before the Lord each knowing the own affliction in their own heart, their own experience of, uh, of this turmoil, their own, their own experience of their own sin and, and, and asking for forgiveness. When they stretch out their hands towards this house, to the temple, to the dwelling place of God, Solomon prays, here in heaven, forgive and act. And he prays for individual renewal, not just corporate renewal, but that as individuals, Israel would be renewed, restored to the Lord, given a new life that they may be able to walk in the ways of the Lord. Um, deal with everyone according to, to what they do, since you know their hearts, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave your ancestors. Solomon is praying they will be, um, their, their hearts would be transformed. You know, Romans 12 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's the same prayer, renewal, individual renewal that Solomon is praying for. The next thing Solomon prays for is welcome. Welcome. 41 to 43. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear your great name in your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray towards this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people, Israel. Israel, And may know that this house I have built bears your name. When Solomon leads Israel in prayer, he doesn't just pray for Israel. He prays for foreigners, those outside his kingdom, those outside his community, his own demographic, his own people. 
And he says, answer, you know, when, when a foreigner comes and prays towards this temple, answer their prayer so that all people of all nations would know the name of the Lord, would know that, that God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, is the one true God. This prayer is not turned inward, but turned outward. That, that Israel would be a place of welcome to foreigners, to those of other nationalities, those from other nations. I wonder, is this place a place of welcome? Where, where people of, of any tribe, tongue, nation, status would be welcome? would feel like this is a place where they could belong, would feel like this is a place where they could meet God. Pray that we would be a place of welcome to everyone who might come through these doors. The next thing Solomon prays for is resolve, for purpose. It's another way of putting it. Verse 44 to 45, when your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord uh, towards the city you've chosen and to the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. So Solomon prays, if your people go out to battle and, and, and note that it's when people go out to battle to which you have sent them, to the purpose that you have ordained for them. They're not going out on their own and choosing what they should do, but God has sent them in battle. And when that happens, when Israel is out on battle for the Lord and they turn back to Israel and pray to the temple, Solomon prays, uphold their cause. Give them resolve and purpose. Equip, empower, enable, release your people to do your will. Solomon prays for resolve, for purpose for the people of Israel in God's purposes to what God has sent them to do. And the last thing that Solomon prays for is hope, is hope. This one's a little bit longer and also a bit confusing. Solomon uh, prays uh, from verse 46 to 51, when they sin against you, when Israel sins against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and when you, became, when you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all of their heart and soul in the land of their enemies that you took, who took them captive and pray to you towards the land you gave their ancestors, towards the city you have chosen, towards the temple that I've built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and Cause their captors to show them mercy. For they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that iron smelting furnace. Paul, uh, Sol Solomon prays uh, for a situation that inevitably will come to pass of Israel being exiled. And when that happens, because they've sinned against you, and in that exiled country, when they pray to the temple, 
to the dwelling place of God uh, and, and repent of their sin and return to the Lord. Um, Solomon prays, maintain their cause and of everything that Solomon could pray for, and he has already prayed for of restoration, renewal, returning to land. Here, all he prays for is that their captors would relent a little bit, would uh, ease up on the beatings and the persecution, would show them a, a bit more mercy. And I wonder, why does Solomon pray so little here? If, if this is the dwelling place of God that they're praying for, why is Solomon so small-minded in this moment? But reading around a bit and, and listening to some different voices, I was reminded of the original readers who would have first read this. Because those who were in the room and in, is, in Israel where, where Solomon prayed this would have similarly, would have been, a little bit confused about this, like why not pray for more? And as we hear this two and a half thousand years later-ish, uh, and we, we read this and we go, surely Solomon could have prayed for a bit more. But the original readers, when one Kings was written and brought together and packaged, uh, one and two Kings, uh, they were together, um, was while Israel was in exile. When, like while this was a reality, and, and so while this doesn't make any sense to us, for those who were in exile, it would have brought profound hope that as they read this and know that Solomon prayed, that if they were to pray uh, to the temple, to the, to the presence of God, to the God who they belong to, then God will still hear their prayer, even when they're separated from the land. Even when they've separated from the temple, God still hears them because they are God's people. And he will provide mercy for them and relief. It's profound hope. Profound hope because they are the people of God. And God keeps his promises. Verse 52 to 53, Solomon concludes this part by praying, uh, Let your eyes, may your eyes be open to your servant's plea and to the plea of your people Israel. And may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you, for you singled them out from all nations of the world to be your own inheritance. Just as you declared through your servant Moses, when you, the sovereign Lord, brought our ancestors out of Egypt. Listen to our prayer because we are the people of God. We are your people. God, desire, God desires a, a genuine, real relationship with his people. And Solomon says, we're your people. Listen to our prayer. So as Israel approaches the temple, as Solomon dedicates the temple and, and, and leads Israel in prayer, there are seven things that Israel prays for. Justice, restoration, corporate renewal, personal renewal, welcome, resolve, and hope. The temple, the, the, the presence of God amongst Israel, God in the room is the place for Israel to look to, to seek out justice and restoration, renewal, welcome, resolve, hope. To, is the place to look to, to, to seek out forgiveness, healing, 
hope. The temple was God in the room for Israel. But it was just a foretaste of God's true plan of dwelling with his people. What the true temple would be. God amongst his people. We're reminded uh, before and after the ridiculous amounts of sacrifices necessary uh, for the Israel to, to dwell with God because of the great divide that exists. That, that as Solomon prayed when they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin. Our hearts are naturally turned away from God to seek out our own desires, to seek out our own kingdom. There's, there's sacrifice is necessary. And God's greater plan was not a building, but a person that he himself would come to dwell with his people through the person of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus would provide, would be the sacrifice necessary to restore us, to allow us to draw near to God. Jesus is God in the room. Jesus is the means by which we can have a relationship with God. Jesus is the means by which we are forgiven. And everything that the temple represented, everything that the temple promised, we have in Christ. In the work that Jesus has done on the cross and rising again and the promise to return, we have justice, restoration, Corporate renewal, individual renewal, welcome to all people, resolve, purpose, and hope. We have all these things in Christ. And more than that, even more than that, through Christ, as his people, as his body, the church is God's presence in the world. We are to embody these things to the world. Ephesians 2, uh, 19 to 22 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple for the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Through Christ, as his body, the church is God's presence to the world. So how are we embodying these things to the world? Justice, restoration, renewal, welcome, resolve, hope. And if God is in the room, And he is. What are we going to say to him? What are we going to ask for? And this prayer of dedication for the temple gives us the answer. We pray for justice for the world. We pray for restoration. We pray for corporate renewal of, of of people, of the land. We pray for individual renewal. We pray for welcome, that all people would be welcomed into the presence of God amongst the people of God. We pray for resolve, for purpose, 
that God would uphold our cause on his mission. We pray for hope for ourselves and for the world because we know we are his people. And so to finish uh, the sermon tonight, I thought we'd respond in what Solomon leads Israel in, and that's to pray. To, to gather in groups and what we'll do is we'll gather in small groups and we'll pray for, for one or more of these things. And so in a moment, uh, we'll break off into groups of three or four or five and uh, we'll leave that screen on. Thanks, Josh. And uh, pray for uh, these things. And you might be able to think of specific situations or you can pray generally. Uh, If you're not comfortable or familiar with praying, that's fine. You can just listen to what others have to to pray or listen to what other groups are praying or just formulate your own prayer in your mind and God will hear that uh, because he dwells in us by his spirit through Jesus. So let's do this. Let's gather uh, for for a couple of minutes and then uh, Mike, where is he, will wrap us up and then lead us in communion. Another celebration of what God has done through Jesus. So let's, let's do this for a couple of minutes. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.